We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, November 25th, day before Thanksgiving. Uh, that does not stop myself, Nick Whalen, or my co host, Alex Barutha, from talking about the NBA as we are wont to do. Uh, Alex, obviously, a lot to get to in terms of free agency. Uh, a ton has happened over the last week, and you know, news continues to trickle in, uh, not only on Monday and Tuesday, but, but even into Wednesday morning as well. But at this point, most of the major dominoes, Alex, have fallen. Uh, and I, I think we could pretty confidently talk about uh, a lot of these deals. Most are, are starting to become finalized. Uh, we're starting to get more details in terms of the contracts. Uh, and now, you know, getting a better picture of, of how these deals are going to impact the season that begins uh, in earnest in less than a month. So we'll start at the top. Um, you know, I, I feel like we're almost obligated to start with this. Josh Jackson to the Detroit Pistons, uh, a team that was very active over this past week. Uh, I feel like Detroit and Oklahoma City, you know, as, as I'm, you know, I have all these alerts set up on my phone and it was like every other deal was involving one of those two teams. Um, but for me, I mean, Josh Jackson to, to Detroit, like how, how much does this raise Detroit's ceiling next season? 
I mean, he could come in, average, you know, combined six steals and blocks. Um, we yeah. saw that upside in college. He just he's been in bad situations. I think this is an opportunity for him to start fresh. Detroit native. Uh, love the signing for Detroit. I, I think this is one of those that, you know, kind of completely flips the league on its head. But uh, realistically, where do you want to begin? You know, we, we can start with Drew Holiday to the Bucks, although that deal, you know, is, is several days old at this point. Uh, I want to turn it to you. Which which deal stuck out to you most, whether it was, you know, one that you really loved, uh, one that you were kind of baffled by, one that you couldn't believe, uh, let's say maybe Marcus Morris getting $64 million. Uh, where do you want to begin? It, it's the, the, the ball's in your court. Uh, that was so shocking. I think I put it away in a separate part of my brain because I forgot it happened until you just mentioned it. Um, Couldn't believe it. I I kind of want to start with the Hawks. Um, the Gallinari signing, they got Rondo done. Obviously, Bogdanovich, that went through yesterday. I think they're one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting team in the league. Um, you wrote that in our, our document here. Like it, They are going to... I've seen people say, oh, yeah, they're going to compete for the eighth seed now. They might compete for like the fifth seed, maybe the fourth seed if everything breaks right. There are a lot of questions I still have. Can Gallinari play the three? Probably not. Um, are they going to try to move John Collins? Is Bogdanovich as good as NBA Twitter thinks he is? Um, a lot of stuff like that, but like they're really interesting right now. They are. I, I'm not sure I'm willing to go that high on the ceiling for this coming season. Uh, you know, I, I love the moves that they made, um, especially in a, in a free agency when you know, you're looking out there and it, it's pretty unappealing. And I, I think Atlanta was on, you know, in that Charlotte category where you're like, oh boy, this, this could get dangerous. You know, the, only a few teams have cap space. There's not a lot of great players out there. Will they spend this wisely? For Charlotte, which we'll get to, I, I think the answer in my mind at least is no. They probably spurged on a player in Gordon Hayward that I, I think is relatively limited upside-wise. I thought Atlanta was really smart about how they distributed that money. You know, throwing throwing 18 mil a year at Bogdanovich, it's a lot of money, but it's it's not crushing. You know, I mean, it's right. it's it's not a, a massive overpay. I don't think. Um, you know, maybe some concerns about how Gallinari is going to age, but but he's clearly an upgrade uh, over what they were running out on the wing last year. I think that maybe the, the most clear overpay is Rondo, um, but you're you're more so paying for the experience. Um, you know, somebody who I think is going to probably hold Trey Young a little more accountable uh, than anyone else on that roster last year. I think they that was kind of a known overpay, if you will. Um, and then I, I think, you know, one of the really sneaky signings that I liked a lot was Chris Dunn, who yeah. had fallen out of favor in Chicago. But I mean, a lot of the defensive metrics painted him as as arguably the best defensive guard in the league last season. And I think Atlanta has built a really thoughtful roster right now around Trey Young in that if you if you have the worst defensive player in the league in your backcourt handling 30 percent of your possessions, you need to offset that with one of the best defensive guards in the league in Chris Young or in Chris Dunn, I should say. So, you know, I now have some questions about, like, where does this leave Kevin Herter? Where does this leave Cam Reddish, who looked really good at the end of last year? Where does this even leave DeAndre Hunter? Like all three of those guys, I would say on paper, no longer project as starters. You also have the number six pick in Anyeka Okungwu. Um, so all, all of a sudden, I mean, they go from this team that it was going to be a really fun, you know, run for the eight seed, you know, with these young guys to you kind of have competing values where, you know, if you're if you're Bogdanovich, if you're Gallinari, if you're Rondo, you're winning now. Uh, but, you know, Trey Young's only going into his third year. Like I said, Okungwu, you know, hasn't even played an NBA game yet. So they, they have kind of that interesting mix of of veterans and young guys. I Oftentimes that that can kind of clash and, and end up being a little disappointing. Like to me, 
Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, Philly, Brooklyn, even Toronto, I would say are, are pretty firmly ahead of Atlanta. Where I, I think it gets interesting if you start comparing the Hawks to a team like Indiana, you know, who was firmly in the playoffs last year. I, I think they're better, at least on paper, than Orlando. Uh, they're certainly better than most of those teams that were in their category last year. You know, Charlotte, Washington, Chicago, the Knicks. They vaulted themselves over those teams. Yeah, I think um, I mean, they're they're one of the deepest teams in the East now, at least with that young yeah. core. Kind one of the deepest teams in the league. Yeah. With their with the young core as the backup, basically, um, you know, they're going to. They might win a lot of games because their bench outperforms other teams' benches. Mm. But yeah, I mean they're I mean they're way deeper than you know a team like Boston, for example, who lost Gorgon Hayward for virtually nothing. Agat Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson, but who knows there? Um, and I don't know. Maybe this season, the shortened season, there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs. Maybe to some extent, it will be kind of a war of attrition. And you know, a lot of guys are missing games. Atlanta has the opportunity to still win a lot of those games. Um, I, I just think I, their upside is, I think, pretty high. Trey Young is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, John Collins, a lot of people don't know who he is, like casual NBA fans, you know? Yeah. But he's he's very good. Um, I'm I'm interested to see if they end up maybe trading some of those young guys for another right. piece. But um, as of right now, I I mean, I love the moves they made, honestly. To just be flexible right. over the next year or two, whether it's trading, you know, like you said, Reddish, um, you know, Hunter was the fourth overall pick. Two years ago, Herder. I mean, there would be a lot of interest in those guys. Um, and then, you know, if you have to turn around and trade Bogdanovich in a year or two, I think that's going to end up being a fine contract. If you if you have to pick between Collins and Capella at some point, you know, there's a, obviously John Collins would, would be a massive trade piece. So they're they're in a really really good spot, uh, I think, for the future. And this season's going to tell us a lot, I think, about Trey Young. You know, I mean, they've built this is by far the best supporting cast he's had. It's only been two years so far, but I mean, this. If, if they stumble out of the gate and they're still not winning games and he's still this huge liability on defense with this roster around him, I think you have to start to reassess a little bit. Um, but I, I think, you know, in terms of a guy you look at, you know, kind of playing that same style as Steph Curry, obviously not as efficient, you know, not not making the wow plays that Steph was. But, you know, there was kind of that year for Steph after the ankle injuries where everything clicked and it was like, OK, this guy has gone from a really nice borderline all star, you know, good scorer to like maybe one of the best players in the league. And I think Trey Young, the pieces are in place for him to make his like Luca type of ascent, you know, which which I think Doncic made over the second half of last year. Um, you know, I, I think this is this is a really big opportunity, I guess, for Trey Young to kind of flip what's become a little bit of a good team ba- or a good stats bad team narrative early in his career. Uh, so big opportunity for him. You mentioned Boston losing Gordon Hayward. I, I keep hearing people bash Boston, you know, for, for losing Kyrie and losing Isaiah Thomas and then losing Gordon Hayward, you know, losing him for nothing. That That is something. And they are, as of this morning, you know, Boston is still working on potentially making that a sign and trade with Charlotte, which would benefit both teams. For Boston, you know, it would free up a, a pretty a pretty hefty trade exception, uh, which which would be, you know, pretty huge for, for Boston, whether that's this deadline or, or around this time next year. Um, and then for Charlotte, you know, you would need a third team essentially to – Take the Nick Batum expiring, which is a massive pill to swallow. Right now, in order to accommodate Hayward, you know Charlotte would have to stretch Batum, uh, which is just not something you ever want to do. You really don't want to be stretching anyone ever, uh, especially a contract like that. Um, you know, it's right when you're right, right when you're about to get off of it, to stretch right. it and then have to still have it be on your books for years uh, into the future is is unappealing to say the least. So we'll see what materializes there. If Boston can get a trade exception, that's great. Uh, but like you said. I think the bigger concern right now is 
not getting any kind of actual return for Hayward in terms of a physical player leaves you pretty starved for depth. I mean, they still have a great starting five. If you're projecting Kemba, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and then whatever whatever they do at center, we'll get to that. That's pretty damn pretty damn good. But you know, all of a sudden your backup shooting guard might be a rookie in Aaron Neesmith. And, you know, you're, you're going to be relying on guys like Grant Williams and, you know, potentially uh, Romeo Langford, who was not good as a rookie last year uh, for bigger roles than you'd, than you'd probably like to. Um, I love the addition of Jeff Teague as a backup point guard. I think he's become really underrated these last couple of years, and he's probably overqualified at this point to be a backup point guard. Um, but I, I, I also, on paper, I like the Thompson addition, Tristan Thompson, I'm just not really sure what that solves for them. You know, does he start over Tice? You know, by the end of last year, it really looked like they had started to trust Robert Williams more. All of a sudden, now he's pretty clearly the number three guy. So I, I didn't really understand. Uh, you know, I, I like the additions, like I said, in a vacuum. I just I didn't really understand the Thompson one from a depth perspective. Yeah, I think um, getting Jeff Teague is good because Kemba Walker's knee is apparently still not 100%. Uh, he might be limited to start the season. So having a, a legitimate you know, guy who can play 30 minutes a night in Jeff Teague. That's good. But you're right. Like I was looking at the depth of this team. I was writing outlooks for the site. Like Aaron Neesmith is going to play for this team. Like he might play 28 minutes a game for them. Um, Grant Williams going to play a lot. The The Tristan Thompson thing does really feel like you're putting a Band-Aid on a larger problem. Um, mm. And I, I like Tristan Thompson. Um, you know, he's, he's won a championship with LeBron. But like, yeah, I, I it was really shocking when they did not when the Celtics did not do the signing trade with the Pacers with Gorgon Hayward that would have gotten mm-hmm. them. It sounded like they were going to get Miles Turner. Right. And, and from what I hear, Danny Ainge doesn't like Miles Turner's contract, which is, I think, like 18 million dollars over three years or something, I, which to me is not a bad deal. Um, I, I know he hasn't been amazing and maybe he hasn't hit his potential, but. It's kind of the perfect fit for Boston, right? They can, it's, he's still a stretch five. He plays defense. Um, right. I know he's not a great rebounder, but like. I mean, how many better centers are there than Miles Turner? I, and I'm not saying like he's this, you know, top three center in the right. league, but there's just not that many great centers. And it's like, yeah, maybe he's not your ideal center, but if you don't have Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic or Rudy Gobert or Anthony Davis, like who, I mean, he's kind of in that next tier, right? I think so. I mean, I'm sure the Bucks would prefer him over Brook Lopez. The Raptors sure. would need him. Um, you know, obviously someone like Miami wouldn't need them, but you know, Brooklyn could use Miles Turner. Like, there's just a lot of teams in the league would gladly take Miles mm-hmm. Turner, and for some reason, Boston just does not want him. Yeah, very strange. Uh, it felt like Boston was a little bit worse, or at least stayed the same. Um, do, do you think it's fair, real quickly, by the way, to? Uh, to characterize this last like four or five years for Boston as as a failure, not making the finals uh, with the, you know, the, hitting on some of those draft picks that they got from Brooklyn, you know, in Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, but, you know, the Kyrie thing kind of going haywire, you know, I think in a lot of ways misplaying the Isaiah Thomas thing from an optics perspective. Uh, you know, obviously the Hayward deal, it doesn't really go as you think. A lot of it to me feels like just kind of random bad luck. Um, and I, I don't really see it as a failure by any means. I, I think hitting on the on the Tatum and the Brown picks especially sets you up well. And and yeah, I mean it's it's tough to, you know, what I think they were up what three two on that LeBron that terrible LeBron Cavs team in 2018 and, and couldn't finish the deal. And and obviously they, you know, were in there with Miami this past year in the bubble. But I don't know. To me, I don't look back and be like, wow, another choke job for this Boston core. I, I don't really see it that way. No, I mean they were only bad for one season. 
right? 2013, right. 14, they won 25 games and then they ended up with basically Tatum and Brown. And ever since 2016, 17, they've been to at least the Eastern Conference semifinals and been to the Eastern Conference finals three of those times. They've yeah. lost, but like when you get to the Eastern Conference finals three out of the past four years with a core that includes Jason Tatum, who is 22, that's mm. that's not a failure. Well, I think the argument is you had those guys on rookie deals. You know, I mean, it's like the having an NFL quarterback who's really good right away. You could spend elsewhere. And I, I think it's like they it felt like they never quite went all in. Well, those guys were really good on, you know, making making peanuts. But at the same time, like, the you know, the Davis trade, for example, was, you know, p- potentially on the table for a while. That would require you to give up Tatum. And I, I think at that point, you know, it's like, yeah, Anthony Davis is better than Jason Tatum, but. I still don't know if losing Tatum and replacing him with Anthony Davis was ever going to be enough to put them over the top during these last few years. No, and it sounded like Davis didn't want to be there anyway. That's the other thing. Way too risky long term. Uh, Let's go to the Sixers, who have completely revamped their roster. I'm interested to see what you think about how this came out, because I I think from like a pure talent perspective or name recognition perspective, you would look at this and say, like, they maybe they got worse. You know, they lost Al Horford. They lost Josh Richardson, who I really like, who admittedly maybe a little overrated at this point i mean danny green you're, you're bringing him in when his stock is at it's like absolute lowest which i, I think maybe plays into this as well but you, you know if you're, if you're betting on a danny green bounce back I, I think you could talk yourself into it what i really like is the addition of seth curry i, I think josh richardson is a better defensive player he's a more versatile player but i, I think seth curry is exactly what the 76ers need um and you know we talk about you know, kind of having to specialize a roster around Trey Young. In some ways, you have to do the same thing for Ben Simmons and getting him to, you know, dead eye, at least in the regular season, Danny Green and, you know, permanently Seth Curry, dead eye shooters, uh, I think was the right move. Even if it, you know, you, you kind of had to bite the bullet on Horford and, and admit defeat with that one. Um, I think that's fine. And I, I think it was a, a nice kind of first week, I guess, for, for Daryl Morey to come in and very clearly already put his stamp on this team. They, you know, I, they got, I agree, I agree with you. They lost name recognition. They lost overall talent. Um, I think this fit is better. You know, maybe it is, maybe they want to really play, um, which I think makes sense. They also gained just general flexibility with their roster and with their finances, like getting rid of both of those deals. Um, and they kept their third best player in Tobias Harris, um, who is, yeah, overpaid, but his contract was going to be, I think, practically impossible to move. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and they managed to move Al Horford, but that, you know, that was to the, the thunder that hardly counts. Um, yeah, I, I, I think they kind of got worse on paper, but again, yeah, they added three and D players and that's kind of just what you need around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by bet MGM sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise that's why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six month Rotowire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website, and once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. 
In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. All right, let's look at the reverse of that then. Let's go to the Thunder. I, I don't even know where to begin here. Like I, I always I always use like our Rotowire depth charts as as a guide, you know, when checking out these rosters. We have 13 players currently listed at small forward. We have 13 players currently listed as potential options at power forward, seven centers. Uh, and this roster is it felt like it's been turned over completely multiple times over the last couple of weeks. And and anytime there was a situation where you needed to dump a contract like an Al Horford or a Trevor Ariza, uh, the Thunder were, were willing and able to take that on. And I, I think they're, they're going down the exact path that we thought they would, you know, gone is Gallinari, gone is Schroeder. Chris Paul obviously is gone. Steven Adams is now a Pelican. This roster is, is completely turned over. SGA is the only piece, you know, that really remains that you, that you feel great about right now. I mean, they're, they're going to kind of, they're taking the approach of like, we'll, we'll take on, anybody with a little bit of potential and we'll, we'll give them the opportunity that they might not have elsewhere. And hopefully it turns into something, you know, it's hard to look up and down this roster and feel great about like Hami Diallo or Admiral Schofield or Isaiah Roby, you know, turning into something great, but they're going to try it. And they're also almost certainly, uh, you know, apologies to SGA. They're almost certainly going to be in in an awesome position for what's shaping up to be a, a loaded 2021 draft as well. So I mean, they're positioning themselves perfectly, I think, for the next decade. The question is just at what point do you, you know, start to maybe think about cashing in on this insane amount of draft capital that they built up? Yeah, I mean, it does look like they're they very well may start Amadou Diallo, Lou Dort and Darius Baisley, which is awful. That's process Sixers level, you know, um, and they might start Al Horford, I guess. I would be surprised if Al Horford like (laughs) it might be worse than any of those. Yeah, and uh, unless they can trade him, but I don't know if that's going to happen. SGA, this is just this is SGA's team at this point, right? Like he's going to yep. take every shot. Um, he's going to be insane in fantasy. But yeah, I mean, this is I think this is the right move for OKC. I think they did the right thing when you tank, you just do it, you you do it like this, right? Um, and yeah, positioning yourself for the 2021 draft when so many other teams in the league are trying to be good. I think it makes a lot of sense because you're practically guaranteeing yourself a top five pick. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do wonder how low they will sink because you have a new coach in place. You know, it, it, I, I think out, outside of SGA, um, at least without Horford, you know, you have you have like a baseline level of competence with a guy who's that much of a veteran and, and has that much experience. You know, like that's I, I think they could maybe be a little better than you think um, just because so many like they're not going to be like you compared to the process Sixers they were rolling out a bunch of like 19 and 20 year olds who were you know were, were like basically G League level players at least some of these guys you know Diallo's been in the league a few years they still have George Hill they they grabbed Frank Jackson from New Orleans um, they're not going to be a good team that's for sure I mean we can absolutely cross them out when it comes to parsing playoff teams but um, I, I think there's also a case to be made that a team that has so many bodies a lot of young bodies um, in a condensed season, you know, I think maybe that plays to their advantage a little bit. So I, I think they'll they'll lose a lot of games, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, just a laughable display night to night. I, I think they'll be relatively competitive. What do you think about the Wizards handing 80 million to Bertans? Uh, I don't think I would have done it, but uh, a lot of money for Bertans. It's not even that tradable of a contract. 
Um, like it's not like you got him on any sort of deal. I'm sure some team will end up taking him at some point because I don't trust the Wizards to win games. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's the reports that John Wall wants out of Washington now after they discussed him for Russell Westbrook in a trade, which, again, was just really strange for both sides, I thought. Well, Ed, um, let's pause there. Let's pause there and talk about this. So what? which side would you prefer? Let's say it's just straight up Wall for Westbrook. Which side wins that trade in your mind? Um, I think Westbrook both injuries like the Achilles I don't know I think John Wall is a better player than Westbrook when healthy but like right I don't know it's it was such a strange deal I'm like is this a lose-lose like what am I looking at here um the timing was weird I mean obviously we knew Westbrook you know wanted out but I, I think like John Wall has been pretty committed and the Wizards have been extremely committed to getting him back and it's like all right he's finally back season's a month away all right get me out of here right um and the, the thing is, the rest of the team is still awful. Like, Hachimura is probably going to start. They signed Robin Lopez to be their backup center, um, who didn't who played, I think, like 10 minutes in the playoffs for the Bucs. Yeah. Uh, Denny Avdia seems like he's going to play for this team. Troy Brown. I, it's I just like, to. I don't know, man. Like, it's, it's a lot of money to give Bertans. I know they don't want to lose him. And, again, you keep the asset and you try to flip him later. But it's... It's a lot of money for a guy who is going to be just a three-point shooter for you. Just turned 28 as well. I mean, he's only been in the league for four years, but he didn't start at 19 or 20 like most of these guys. So, I mean, you're looking at 33 years old by the time this deal is up. And, you know, I, I unlike Bogdanovich, who I, I, they are similar in age, but it, it just doesn't seem like in two years you'll maybe be able to flip that for great value, right? You know, I, I think there is something to be said for preserving the asset, but to then give said asset, you know, a long-term deal like that. I just, you know, if things go, if and when things eventually go haywire, whether it's this season or next season, like you're just not going to want that $80 million sitting on your books after you've maybe traded Bradley Beal and are, you know, counting down the days till the wall contract is up. It, it was, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily mind the the year by year value. I, I think I just would have gone shorter on the deal and maybe they couldn't have. Yeah. And he also like, doesn't, Again, he's not going to like add more skills, right? No. He's just going to shoot threes. He's already shooting eight a game and hitting 40% of them, or nine a game and hitting 40% of them, which I don't think will increase. He also has a horrible playoff track record. Mm-hmm. Played 23 playoff games, 30% from three on 47 attempts. So, I, you know, who, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of money for Bretons. Well, and it's also at a time when I, I, you know, if you're Washington, I don't think you're like, all right, hey, we're going to strike. You know, these other teams are down. Like there, there are six or seven really good teams in the yeah. East. And like, even if John Wall comes back and is really good and Bradley Beal is awesome again, and maybe Avdi is better than expected. Like, where does that get you at best? Like six seed? You know, I, it's just, I don't, I just don't understand the upside there. Uh, but again, there's something for, for having to preserve an asset. Let's go back to Detroit. Extremely puzzling. I think this is the taking all their moves together. I think this was the team that it was just kind of the biggest question mark as far as, you know, like the Jeremy Grant thing. I like Jeremy Grant. I think everybody agrees that he was great in the playoffs, maybe a little overrated on the defensive end. What does Jeremy Grant give this Detroit Pistons team for the next three years? That I don't, I don't understand this at all. There's, I don't, I don't think you don't look at Jeremy Grant as somebody who, you're like, all right, well, if you get him in a different system, he could be a number one or number two guy. You know, it's not like Pascal Siakam, who just needs more opportunity to go, you know, to take his game to another level. I mean, Jeremy Grant is a could be a super role player, 
but it, he can be a super role player with any team. I, I don't think that's, I don't think his role, what he does offensively is going to change dramatically in Detroit. And with, with Derek Rose and Blake Griffin still on the roster, I, you know, he's still probably their number three guy as of right now. We'll see if maybe they move one or both of those guys eventually, but I don't, and even if they weren't there, do you want Jeremy Grant? You know, you're not running things through Jeremy Grant. Are you, I, I just thought this was really strange. Uh, maybe I don't even care about the money. It was just, it doesn't make sense for a team that's nowhere near competing. You're, these look like win now moves when you look at the roster, yes. right? For a team that otherwise has just completely given off the like vibe of we're tanking. Right. Mason Plumley, first of all, you're giving these guys Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley a combined <clears throat> a combined ninety million dollars. I think eighty five million technically. Mason Plumley is is thirty, by the way. Uh, Jeremy Grant is. 20. So if you're actually tanking, why are you giving a 26-year-old all your money, basically, when he's going to be 30 by the time the team is good? Um, and again, like Jeremy Grant, if if they clear out Blake Griffin and they clear out Derrick Rose, right, and he becomes a one or two option on this team, sure, he's, he'll probably average, what, like 19 and 6, maybe 18 and 6. But what does that even do? What does that get you? What's his, you know, like, are you banking on him scoring 25 points a game and then you flip him again? Are you, just, are you ISOing Jeremy Grant ever? Right. Like, <laughs> like, I just don't know where, like he's, he's going to get the, like he got those, those point totals and rebound totals in Denver, but it was doing little things. He was running the floor, crashing the boards, hitting open threes. He can still do those things. I just, I just don't see, I, I don't understand the upside. You know, I think if you're, if you're Detroit, spend that money on Christian Wood, who, you know, we're not sure what his ceiling is. Like, I think we already have a pretty good handle on what Jeremy Grant's ceiling is. It's a nice ceiling, but it's not, it's not the type of ceiling that you take a shot like this on in free agency when you're in the position that Detroit's in. A hundred percent. Yeah. He's just, he's, he's not who you make the rebuild around. I, I forgot about the Plumlee signing too. That was, I think that's the one that I mentally blocked out. I mean, my right. goodness, that was, that was egregious uh, on a number of levels. Um, we covered the Hawks. Let's, let's go kind of, let's head West now to the Lakers uh, all the way back uh, you know, over a week ago now. Uh, they, they land Dennis Schroeder from Oklahoma City. That kind of kicked things off uh, in trade season. And then I, I was really impressed and borderline shocked by the, the caliber of players that they were able to add. And, you know, we, we, we'll get into Tamatres Harrell shortly and what that means, especially after how he looked in the bubble. Um, I will say I, did, I do not like the Marcus All signing. I thought he looked extremely washed up for most of last season and even more washed up in the bubble. I, I think there were better options out there. Um, but, you know, from a teammate perspective, swapping out JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard and bringing in Marcus All, you know, one of the better veteran guys in the league, I, I think is huge from that perspective, just from like a LeBron James sanity angle. Um, you essentially swap out Avery Bradley and Danny Green for Wes Matthews. You bring back KCP. They were able to keep Markeith Morris on a really team friendly deal. Uh, did lose Rajon Rondo as well, um, but also able to hold on to Kyle Kuzma. You know, you're able to acquire... Schroeder via trade. You don't have to throw Kuzma in there. Again, he's he's been a depreciating asset essentially since the 2018 Summer League came to a close. But, you know, that that is still somebody that at midseason, if you want to go add a, a B-level asset, you know, you still have Kyle Kuzma uh, in the holster to do so. So I think it's hard to argue that the Lakers didn't get better. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to to get your take first on on Montrez Harrell, what the fit is there, how surprised you were that that he was able to you know, be lured away from the Clippers on what I thought was a, a much cheaper deal than I expected. That was 
really shocking. One of the more shocking free agency like happenings was him just switching LA teams on a pretty small deal. Um, It seems like he probably could have gotten paid somewhere else, but apparently wants to win. I think the fit between him and, and Anthony Davis is fine. I mean, Anthony Davis hates playing center during the regular season. He just won't do it. So you need to fill those minutes and having Harold there to do that makes a lot of sense. He can play 26, 28 minutes a game, whatever it is. Um, you know, you have Gasol fill some of that time. Maybe Gasol's not really an every night player for them. I think I'm on a super cheap deal too. Two years, five and a half million, basically. Um, so, I mean, I love these moves. Um, and, you know, when the playoffs come, I'm not so sure about maybe Harold being on the floor since he looked so bad last playoffs. But again, maybe like having LeBron there be a playmaker for him um will help like lebron montrez pick and rolls should be pretty yes. good i mean schroeder harold pick and rolls are going to be great on their own it's like you know last season everyone made a huge deal about well it's the lou williams montrez harold bench units it's it, it you know it just dominates other bench units while paul george mm-hmm. and Kawhi Leonard starts like the lakers just did that but now it's better because i guess schroeder yeah. instead of lou williams it's not often that you can buy low on the reigning six man of the year i'll say that <laughs> right. and they got they got an awesome deal on Harrell. And that's where it becomes about, you know, if they had paid Marcus Morris money for Montrez Harrell, I would not feel great about it. I, I felt like the, the Marcus Morris overpay, like that, that felt like a, a classic, like Lakers deal from the last 10 years or like a, like the LeBron post title contract, but it's a post blowing a three, one lead to the nuggets contract for some reason. Yeah. I'm with you on Harrell. I think when it comes to the playoffs, you know, if he's playing 12 minutes a game, you live with that, you know, that's, they got by with that just fine. Um, you know, moving Davis to center last year, with Gasol, I'm with you as well. I think I think there's a lot of nights where he's kind of this version of like late career Tyson Chandler, where he would maybe start and play like six minutes and then play the first couple of minutes of the second half and that's it. I think he's just there so Anthony Davis doesn't get bodied by Nikola Jokic in right. round two of the playoffs next year. You know, I think he's literally just there to stand behind Jokic and you know not let him get all the way to the hoop for for some of the layups that he had in the West Finals this past year. A hundred percent. I'm. I'm I'm deep into this Marcus Morris deal now. Sorry. Like I heard what you said, but I'm also I he averaged 12 points a game in the playoffs. He's 31. I gave him 64 million dollars. That was like, baffling. Baffling. I don't understand it. I mean, have you have you seen like an actual explanation for this yet? Like was Kawhi like we need to pay him everything? Like was there another offer that was within 20 million of that? It's <laughs> a great question. Seriously. Um I have no idea. Like, I know he shot really well. Okay. In the playoffs, 50, he basically shot 50, 50, 90. But like, is that going to happen again? I don't Do know. Do you ever I, have confidence that a Marcus Morris shot is for sure going down? You know, a swing, a swing to him for a wide open three on the wing. Are you ever like, oh, that's cash? Uh, No, not oh. really. I mean, he has like insane playoff track record shooting threes, but that's got to regress. It's like, he's a career 44% three point shoot stick, right? Playoffs? Um, yeah playoffs wow. okay well never mind i stand corrected that was it's actually a value <laughs> deal by the Clippers. um what, what is your thought quickly on bradley going to the heat i feel like i got the impression that the lakers were not happy that he did not show up to the bubble and they were like i didn't see i followed all the lakers stuff on instagram twitter there was nothing about avery bradley at all from the day that he announced he wasn't coming to the bubble there was like nothing about like him getting a ring or anything. like i think they were just like all right if you're not coming we're done with you man like whatever you know, we kind of were really hoping that you would you would come and help us win this title. 
I think it was like a good riddance, you know, like, thanks. Thank you for your service during the regular season, but go do whatever you want. I think it's a big loss personnel wise. I, I think he's kind of underrated, but bringing KCP back on an overpay, but like by, by post championship LeBron teammate standards, like not that bad of a contract. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I, I, the Lakers are, are in better shape than last year, certainly. And, and that should scare some teams, but you know, we could go to the Clippers now. We've been talking about Marcus Morris. I, I thought their best addition by far was Ibaka. I would, if I'm the Lakers, I would rather have Ibaka certainly than Mark Gasol. And obviously Gasol was much more attainable. I would rather have Ibaka than Montrez Harrell, than Wes Matthews. You know, like to me, the Ibaka signing is, is as impactful as the Lakers adding Schroeder. Uh, yeah, I think so. I it, it helps them. I mean, they can run a legitimate stretch five now, which I think was yeah. something they were missing. And Doc Rivers was clearly searching for when he was like playing, you know, mm-hmm. Patrick Patterson or whoever. Like it, it just it, it's really good for them to get a, a rim protector at five and a three point shooter because yeah. um, Zubac, it seemed like they were going to just roll <laughs> run a lot of Zubac, which I would love. I've been the best for the um, right. But yeah, I think when you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who are like they're good offensive players. They're not pure playmakers. And Lou Williams has struggled in the playoffs, and he is a good passer. But again, how much can you really play him? Mm-hmm. You need to space the offense out because they're not really going to make a ton of stuff happen necessarily, um, yeah. like the way you know a, a great passer would. So th- it is a huge get for them. Um, I think I think it's it, it's mm-hmm. a strong move for sure. Absolutely stole Luke Kennard as well. Oh yeah. On draft night. That was a, that was a home run deal. I, I think you're, you're buying very low on Luke Kennard who, uh, you know, we'll see, maybe there's some, you know, some lingering knee issues that, that we don't know about. Uh, and, and that's maybe part of the reason Detroit was, was able to uh, pretty comfortably part ways with him, but that's a huge, huge bench addition. You know, maybe he ends up, uh, you know, if you, if you play Kawhi at the four and, and you bring Morris off the bench, maybe you have Kennard starting some nights at the two or the three. Um, but if he's, I mean, if he's like your, you know, kind of second option off the bench alongside Lou Williams. I think that's a, a really, really underrated and, and big addition for the Clips. Yeah, I think so, too. I, mean, I think they got him for the 19th pick, technically, and they lost Shamit. Shamit was involved, yeah. I mean, they they got by far the best of that three-way deal, I thought. 100%. Yeah, Kennard, they, gave up, they gave up, like, nothing. I know, yeah, Kennard, he's been a 40% three-point shooter for his career. Um, so... It was a really good move for them, for sure. That was one of those where I think after it went through, like every team in the league was like, are you serious? We would have beat that offer in two seconds. Yeah, because he, he's someone who can almost take over when Lou Williams is done, if they want to move That's Lou good. Williams, or is he if he just can't do it in the playoffs. Like, you know, he averaged 16 and four last season in 33 minutes. Um, I don't know if he's going to play yeah. 33 minutes for the Clippers, but. Even if he's just your spot up shooter who can, you know, do a little bit off the dribble, like he's way overqualified for that. I, I think that's going to be an awesome fit. Uh, Christian Wood in Houston. So as of now, the, the Rockets appear to be standing pat when it comes to James Harden. Um, with Westbrook, it's hard to say. You know, I think they'd be a lot more interested in trading Westbrook. I think there's, you know, part of the issue with, with Westbrook still being on the team is there's just not nearly as much interest. And, you know, with Harden, it's he's made it clear he wants to go to one place. That obviously makes a, a, a trade more difficult as well. But I think the Christian Wood addition, um, they also brought in DeMarcus Cousins on a minimum deal. You know, why not? Might as well. The Wood addition to me is is a really nice pickup. Three years, 41 mil. I mean, that is $23 million fewer uh, than Marcus Morris received. I don't know if we've touched on that. I, I think this is a great, whether you end up getting backed into a corner and have to trade James Harden, even if you keep James Harden, 
I think I love this either way. Uh, this this was, I, I think, one of the top three or four just best, you know, value uh, upside type of signings that we saw of the entire week. Yeah, I agree. He looked awesome with Detroit um, when after they traded Drummond and Blake Griffin wasn't there. You know, he put up huge numbers, obviously, basically 20 and 10. I don't think he's going to do that with um, Houston, obviously. But for a team that wants to not play small, you get Christian Wood, who can play center can still shoot three so you can still run five out while also not losing a ton of size again getting cousins on the minimum something i kind of forgot happened but um is a, is a strong move for them like he was when he was last healthy with the w- with the warriors he looked good yeah. um i don't know how much of that is still I don't, I don't know how much of that he still has but um two really good moves for them and so again like you said if they try to win now and they keep Harden and westbrook it should work if they move hard into Westbrook, it's he's part of their rebuilding then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's too early to cross off Houston. And I, I think everyone was ready to do that when Harden wanted out. And I think eventually he probably does get out because that's how it works in the NBA when you're a superstar. Um, but, you know, can't fault them for, for what they've done so far to, I guess, if it's convince Harden to stay or whatever. I mean, I, I think, like I said, with the Wood signing, I think they're just acting independent of Harden. And it's like, we we can get this guy at a good price. We're going to do it regardless of our roster context. Um, let's move to the Blazers, who uh, added Robert Covington uh, via trade. Uh, that I think they gave up, what, the 16th pick in the draft last week and then a, a protected pick next year. I like that deal a lot. I, I think you and I are about as high on Robert Covington as anyone. You know, I, I know there are people out there who... Uh, kind of see him as a Josh Richardson type where, you know, the name has, has maybe started to exceed the production the last few years. But I, I, Blaz- the Blazers desperately needed somebody like him um, in this lineup. And I, I think you're rolling out now Lillard, McCollum, Covington, Zach Collins, Nurkic. You bring back Carmelo Anthony, who is, uh, by all means, a great fit. Uh, you bring back Enos Cantor, who, you know, has had some of his better years in the past in Portland, although everyone knows the limitations there. I, I don't think I feel great about Portland. I, I, I was listening to a pod last night that I think someone had them like fourth in the West. I mean, maybe the upside's there. If Lillard plays like he did the second half of last year, that's, that's certainly a possibility. If Nurkic looked awesome in the bubble, you know, after being off for, um, you know, a, a really long period. But at the same time, like a lot of their depth issues, I don't know if they've really been solved. You know, I like Gary Trent. Rodney Hood's coming off of a, an extremely severe injury. They add Derek Jones, who's, you know, kind of always been the eighth, ninth man. Um, it, it does feel like there's, there's still that team that's like one injury away from potentially falling out of the playoffs, you know, as they basically did last year. Yeah. I think that was Bobby Marks who said he, he thought he had, they had the best off season and it's like, do they have one of your family members hostage, Bobby? Like what is yeah. going on? Um, <laughs> they had, they had we, a fine off season. Like they didn't have the best off season. No. Um, th- they needed a Covington for sure. Because when you have Lillard and McCollum as a backcourt, a negative on defense, and, um, you know, Nurkic is a good defender, um, mellow, depending on how much he plays, that's a negative on defense. So yeah, getting, getting Covington is great for them. Perfect pickup for them. Um, remains to be seen how much mellow is going to play again. I'm still interested. They basically added Rodney hook and John Collins too, right? Yeah. Cause those guys are coming back from injury. So that's important to know. Um, they, again, yeah, they had a good off season, but a half of it is just guys coming back from injury. <laughs> Well, part of it, we you mentioned Collins. I mean, they they also very quietly clarified earlier this week that he's going to miss at least the first month of the year. It sounds like, so that that's starting to become a little bit more of a concern just in terms of his long term durability. 
Uh, I think that's probably a factor, too, in, in why they were eager to bring Melo back. Yeah, and they also got Derek Jones, which I'm not like, I mean, is anyone like a Derek Jones, you know, fan? Um, but he's I mean, that, as, as a dunk contest aficionado. Yes. I mean, as a regular basketball aficionado. No. Um, good depth, but we'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the Suns. I, I think they are probably now the, in my mind, at least the prohibitive favorite for like team that I'll just be low key rooting for all year to be really good. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're the team I think with that kind of has a lot of the things that Portland is missing. You know, they, they don't have Damian Lillard, but they do have, Devin Booker, who is, you know, on track to be probably as good as Damian Lillard in a year or two. Obviously, you add Chris Paul. And, and as I said, you know, on the pod with, with James last week, the fact that they were able to do all of this while keeping McCall Bridges, keeping Cam Johnson, keeping, you know, the number 10 pick in Wednesday's draft, which it, it was kind of a weird one, you know, taking Jalen Smith that high, a guy they probably could have traded back and, you know, taken eight spots later. Um, but their team, I mean, they did the same thing last year with Cam Johnson, essentially, and, and it worked out well. So I'm not, especially in a draft like this, I'm not going to get on a team for for having the conviction to take somebody that they really like, especially at 10. They also bring back Sarich. So you you have, you know, almost the entire core of last year's team that went 8-0 in the bubble. Um, you add Chris Paul, you, you get rid of Ricky Rubio. I think we've we've gone over the the risks that come with Chris Paul so many times. We don't need to rehash that. But if you assume Chris Paul plays 80 to 85 percent of the season, uh, I mean, how comfortable are you saying? Yes, I, I think I'm I'm confident that the Phoenix Suns will be in the playoffs. Um, that's tough. I mean, I think maybe like 65, 70 percent. Um, I don't. If Chris, if you guarantee me Chris Paul stays relatively healthy. I'm pretty confident they get in. I mean, look, look what yeah, that, like, this roster is. This roster is significantly better than the Oklahoma City roster that he dragged to what the five seed last year. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the standings. OKC is out. Um, I don't think Memphis is in. Houston could be out. Yeah, they're basically competing with Minnesota, New Orleans, and Golden State. Um, and yeah, Golden State's kind of a mess right now, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like what the Suns did. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, both top 25 players. Um, when you have an opportunity to, to do that, I think you pull the trigger, even if it's slightly short-sighted and risky. I love Mikel Bridges. Jay Crowder was an awesome signing for them. Really shores up their power forward spot. DeAndre Ayton looked really good in the bubble and just overall last season. Like, he could take another step forward. So, um, I'm I'm excited about the Suns. And, um yeah. I guess I would be surprised if they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's fair at this point, you know, and well, I think Houston is kind of the swing team for me where you said the Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, uh, those are for sure locks. We'll, we'll get to Golden State in a little bit. I, I would I would certainly be confident in Golden State making it, but I don't think we can say they're for sure a lock given some of the injury concerns. If Houston trades Harden and goes to a rebuild, all of a sudden you're kicking out two of last year's teams. Um, and I, I think that opens up a spot for Phoenix and and then, you know, then it becomes a bigger debate, I think, which teams of like Memphis, San Antonio, Sacramento, New Orleans, Minnesota, uh, which teams fill that other vacancy uh, that that would be in that top eight. But I, I feel pretty good about Phoenix. It's I mean, similar to Atlanta, where, it, you know, it's like, all right, we we have this young core. Now we're going to hit accelerate on on trying to compete. But at the same time, it's like, well, what really is the ceiling? You know, especially in the West, I, I don't think anyone would pick this Suns team over either of the L.A. teams, probably not over Denver. Um, but they they certainly put themselves in the conversation for you know what happens if if LeBron 
you know, tweaks his knee and misses two months or, or Davis, you know, if something happens to him in the playoffs, like they're, they're at least going to be in striking distance, which is not something you could say about the Suns or at any point in the last like 12 years. Right. And they still, I mean, they're a good two-way team as well, right? Chris yes. Paul's a good defender. Mikhail Bridge is a good defender. Crowder. So it's not like they just packed down a bunch of offense mm-hmm. like the Hawks did basically. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, they'll, they'll be fun. Let's go to New Orleans. Uh, another team that has, has revamped uh, major parts of its roster. Uh, they did hold on to Brandon Ingram, as expected, threw him a max deal, uh, which, which he signed earlier this week. So Brandon Ingram uh, locked in now with the New Orleans Pelicans. You have a healthy Zion coming back at power forward. Steven Adams uh, at center, which an interesting combination, to say the least, with he and Zion. Um, you have Eric Bledsoe, you acquired in the, in the Milwaukee deal. Uh, they, they initially had George Hill before sending him away. Uh, still have a lot of intriguing young-ish guys. You know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, first-round pick last year. Kira Lewis, first-round pick this year. Uh, Josh Hart, still relatively young. Um, you know, they picked up Wenyan Gabriel, who, who gave the Blazers some decent minutes in the playoffs last year. Jackson Hayes, of course. I, I, I As a lot of people do, I love this team. I, love, I, I still always root for Lonzo Ball to do well. Brandon Ingram's ascent has been great. Everyone loves Zion. I, I still am not, like, fully convinced that they'll be a playoff team this year. It's a weird team. Weird team. Um, yeah, Steven Adams and Zion don't fit together. Although, if if you talk about a front court that you would not want to play against, just from like a physical perspective, having to go up against Steven Adams and Zion Williamson in the paint for 48 minutes is uh, crazy. Um, yeah. Well, then you so got Brandon a- Ingram on the wing. I mean, geez. <laughs> yeah, together they make an average NBA <laughs> three through five. Um yeah, Bledsoe is a weird addition. He's He might be like a six-man for them. I don't really know. They're kind of halfway between like a win now and a rebuild. Um, give, extending Steven Adams I thought was kind of strange, but um, I I don't think this is a playoff team. You know, unless Zion makes some astronomical leap that I'm not really expecting him to make. Like, I think he'll get better. But I don't think Brandon Ingram can really carry a team like he's still their best player and if Brandon Ingram's your best player even if again he improves I don't you're in a great position to to necessarily make the playoffs they'll certainly be right there I I think they'll they'll be in that mix for probably the seven or the eight most likely the eight um I have major concerns about the ball Bledsoe starting backcourt (laughs) if that's what it ends up being like that is a horrific fit on paper And, and part of that is just Bledsoe's a tough guy to fit around if he's not hitting threes you know, he, like he actually has weirdly uh, some similarities with Lonzo, you know, and Lonzo's a better passer, but uh, I, I like it defensively for sure. Bledsoe was an all defensive team selectee this past year, um, but they're, it feels like they're kind of missing one more piece and they, they have an aging JJ Redick who can shoot the ball. But outside of that, I mean, you have a, a pretty shaky shooter in Lonzo improved, but still shaky, very shaky in Bledsoe, uh, a, a good shooter in Ingram. Zion, a non-shooter, Steven Adams, a non-shooter. So I, I have some, some concern certainly about, how that offense is going to go and we'll see with Zion. I, I, it ultimately hinges on the improvement with him. If he comes back, I mean, what did he hit five threes in his first game, four threes, you know, and they didn't look great, but you know, the, the foundation of a, a three point shot is there. They, they kind of need him to be that guy at some point. If he comes back and is in great shape and looks like the Zion from Duke, I think that changes everything for them. If he comes back and is still a little iffy and every three or four games, you know, picks up a, a minor knee issue and misses some time here and there and never can quite get into a groove, then I think the season plays out pretty much exactly like last season. Yeah. The lack of shooting is, um, it's very worrying. 
Um, they're just going to end up being like a, (laughs) they're just going to have to offensive rebound a lot. I think that's their game plan. Um, and they also hide like, uh, Stan Van Gundy, they have a new coach. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that works. Um, but I'm, I'm actually, the more I look at this roster, I'm not as optimistic as I even was last season. No. And again, we always say this part of it is just how good the West is. You know, this, it's not like the, right. the Pelicans have a bad roster. It's just when you compare it to some other really good teams, it, it doesn't look all that great. Uh, how about Minnesota trading for Ricky Rubio? Uh, you are much higher on Rubio than me. I've never been a big Rubio guy. Uh, although I will admit he's coming off a great year in Phoenix. He was an awesome fit there. Uh, but this this was universally praised by Timberwolves Nation when this one happened. Like there were people, I looked at the replies to the Wolves tweet when they officially announced it. And it was, I mean, this is like this is like the biggest news in, in Timberwolves franchise history. This is bigger than getting the number one pick by far in this draft. I do wonder about the fit because you just drafted a guard in Anthony Edwards. You traded for D'Angelo Russell last year. You re-signed Malik Beasley, uh, who's in a little bit of legal hot water, and we'll see how that turns out. You still have uh, Jared Culver. So all of a sudden, I mean, are you bringing bringing the number one pick off the bench? Are you starting the number one pick out of position at small forward? You know, where where does Beasley fit in all this? Because the thing with Rubio and Russell is, you know, you can't play them really anywhere else. They have to be one of the two guard spots and you can go three guards if you want, you know, it's somewhat of a positionless league at this point, but you can't be like, all right, well, we'll just shift Rubio up to small forward. Yeah. It's like Edwards is kind of the only guy of those three who's transferable. Um, And for a guy whose development, I think was already going to be a bit of a fragile experiment. I, I don't, I don't love the position that they're putting him in, I guess, at least for this immediate season. Yeah. I mean, I think getting Rubio for the 17th pick is fine. I think I think the that that makes sense. And I, I don't oh, know sure. if I I don't know if I really trust Russell as a playmaker necessarily like to play a point, you know, point guard with Towns. Mm-hmm. I think having Rubio and Towns as a pick and roll or a pick and pop option makes a lot of sense. And I think that's what you want. You can have Russell out on the wing who can knock down threes. I'm expecting them to start Anthony Edwards as small forward. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, he's in a situation now where he doesn't have to, if he struggles, they can play more Malik Beasley or whatever. Like, it's not all on him to, uh, you know, be the guy every night. So, you know, I mean, they're a little thin at power forward. Maybe they'll try to make a deal to get a power forward, but, um, maybe they'll try to bring Kevin Love back, um, which would be incredible. But, um, I don't know. I like this team again. I'm not sure it's a playoff team. I've have my doubts, but I, I like the moves overall. I mean, it's, you're trying to convince towns you're trying to win and, and stuff like that. It's fine. They might have the worst power forward depth in the league. That's a pretty big problem when you have that big of a hole. Um, you know, maybe they play a lot of small lineups and you, know, you, you could maybe, maybe go Rubio, Russell, Edwards, Beasley towns. I mean, that's a, a extremely intriguing offensive lineup. Uh, defensively would be would, uh, problematic. I think would be putting it nicely. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, right now, like, but their power forward depth is Hernan Gomez, Jake Lehman, who missed basically all of last year, Nas Reed, who played okay, but is you know kind of a borderline G leaguer, Jaden McDaniel's a rookie, and then Jared Vanderbilt, who's just kind of a flyer guy. So yeah, that that's definitely the the area of need, and you know they do have a glut of talent in the backcourt. They were trying to move Culver before the draft. I, I think it wouldn't be a shock if they they try to pick up somebody. You know, um, did they where where did uh James Johnson end up? Totally blanking on this. Dallas. Okay. Had Minnesota been able to hold on to him, I'd feel a little better about it. I 
we can talk about Dallas real quickly. I mean, not that they did a, a ton, but I, I like the Johnson addition for them. Felt like they needed another kind of tough type of guy. Um, and he certainly fits that bill. Um, were you a little bit surprised that Dallas, who, you know, historically has been, you know, kind of a mover and shaker when it comes to free agency and trades, didn't do too much really other than exchanging Richardson and Curry? Yeah, that was, it was a little surprising, but I think they just still want wanted to keep some flexibility. I think they like their roster. I mean, considering how good they looked in the playoffs and they're going to get Dwight Powell back from injury, um, Porzingis is kind of TBD, um, although he won't be there for opening night, but I think they're kind of standing pat, I guess, maybe looking towards next year, um, next year's free agency class. I don't know. Um, they they must be. If you have Luka Doncic and this roster, you have to feel pretty confident that you can mm-hmm. make a legitimate run for the playoffs again, even if teams oh, around yeah. you got better. I think if Luka stays healthy and I mean, keep in mind, he missed a decent amount of time last year. Yeah. You know, with yeah. The, what do you have? Like, I think a couple ankle issues probably cost him 10 games or so. If he's, he's to the point already that if he's relatively healthy, I think you're a lock for the playoffs, right? I mean, he's just that good. And, you know, they didn't put a great supporting cast around him last year. I think it took a while for Porzingis to really, um, you know, grow into his role. And he looked great by the end of the year. But, you know, maybe now you kind of have to go back to square one with him coming off of another injury. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in Dallas as long as Luke is there. Uh, let's get to a, a couple quick uh, re-signings that we, I don't think we'll have a ton to say about these. Fred Van Vliet. Back in Toronto, um, I, I, this was a little bit of a lower number, I thought, uh, for Van Vliet. I, I think it's probably about right. I, I would not want to throw him $100-plus plus million dollars. Um, but a, a big retention for Toronto. Um, you know, I think we, th- we thought maybe some of these bad teams uh, would be out there like sharks in the water trying to grab him. But uh, Toronto kind of running it back. You know, you lose your two big men in Gasol and Ibaka. Uh, but I like, the, I like the addition of Baines. I think he's an upgrade over Gasol for sure at this point. Um, you know, I think the big question for Toronto right now is Siakam. Yeah, I, I don't think there was a single player who lowered his stock more in the bubble than Siakam, maybe Paul George. Uh, but Siakam was right up there. And I, I think for a guy who, you know, up halfway through last season, you know, we were we were looking at him as, you know, a future number one guy, you know, keys to the franchise eventually type of player. And it, it kind of looked like he was just like a souped up Jeremy Grant for a lot of that postseason. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that to Pascal like well, that. Am um, I wrong? Uh, well, I think um, Toronto looks worse on paper. Um, I think they are worse. They look pretty thin. Um, getting Van Vliet back is really good. I assume Pascal Siakam will make some leaps, but your second rotation is Baines, Boucher, Alex Len. Small forward is OG Anganobi. Like I like him. He's not incredible. Norman Powell, they signed DeAndre Bembry. Um, I'm not, you know, convinced entirely on Terrence Davis. Um, so there, I think there's a little bit of concern for Toronto. Um, you know, when the East is as weak as it is, you can kind of run it back with this team and hope you can make some waves in the playoffs. But they they definitely got worse this offseason. Yeah, they're in an interesting spot because I think they were in that class of teams um, that I think we're not so secretly holding out for a potential Giannis edition next right. summer. And it's, you know, day by day, that's looking less and less likely. Um, and it, you know, the, they've kind of been on this track for a reset really, really for like five or six years. And yeah, you know, I wouldn't say they lucked their way into the finals uh, last year, but, you know, Kawhi arriving was certainly not something they anticipated. 
I, I think Kyle Lowry's prime has stretched out, you know, multiple years longer than I thought it would. We'll we'll see if he can do that again next season. I mean, they've reached the point where you have to pencil them in. They're certainly a playoff team. Um, although I think that drop for Lowry is coming at some point. Uh, but I, I think their their upside, at least for next season, is probably second, maybe third round, maybe a flame out, you know, in the East Finals. You know, they're going to play hard. They're super well coached. The infrastructure is still there. But I, I mean, it's hard to see Toronto beating, you know, a team like even Boston, you know, Brooklyn. Uh, I think Milwaukee got better. Uh, I, I think Toronto's now now kind of fallen slightly below all those teams. Miami, obviously, as well. Yeah, I'm with you on that. The other one I wanted to hit on was Joe Harris re-signing in Brooklyn. A little bit of an overpay to me. Uh, I think it was 75 mil, you know, Bertans type of money for Joe Harris. But he's younger. He's more versatile. And I think more importantly, one, you're preserving the asset for Brooklyn. You know, you, you could trade him, a guy who's going to retain value uh, pretty well, you would think. And two, they really need him, you know, especially if they do ultimately trade Levert and or Jared Allen or Spencer Dinwiddie at some point. Um, that shooting is is invaluable for just about any team, and especially one that has, you know, Durant and Kyrie is, and is going to be able to spread the floor as well as anybody. I, I think Joe Harris is kind of the perfect, I don't even know if I call him a third option, but just like the perfect complementary piece for those two guys. Yeah, I mean, he's a 44% three-point shooter over the past yeah. three seasons. Like, again, you do... I mean, this this is when you overpay someone like Joe Harris or mm-hmm. Bertans is when you're in a position to win the NBA championship. Right. So exactly. I have no problems with this deal. Great way to put it. Yeah, it, it's it, extremely excusable to do it when it's the move that could very well put you over the top as opposed to the move that could boost you from the nine seed to the seven seed. <laughs> right. All right. Let's address the Golden State Warriors. This is I'm just going to say it. Controversial opinion. This sucks that Clay Thompson got hurt. <laughs> A lot of people, a lot of people wouldn't say that, but uh, this is extremely disappointing. I, I, this, Clay Thompson's in like everybody's top five coolest players list. I mean, this is just, it just sucks. I mean, the two straight years without Clay Thompson, and I mean, I was so confident that he would come back and be awesome, just because of you know the the type of game that he has. Not somebody who you think would rely a ton on explosive athleticism, anything like that. Um, and who you know who knows how this really happened, but we've seen instances of you know, you injure a muscle or a, a bone in one leg, and then you start favoring it um, as you recover. And, you know, now he, he blows out the Achilles in the other leg. It's it's going to be tough, you know, long-term, you know, it's, it's obviously a year plus away, but, you know, now, now I think you can really question, is he going to be the same guy? You know, not only is he getting older, but these two injuries back to back. In the immediate future, you know, you put a Band-Aid over things by grabbing Ubre. I thought that was a fine deal. They basically absorbed him with a trade exception. Some major luxury tax implications there, um, but yeah, I think Golden State worries about that probably less than any other team. They're still, you know, in the, the bones of a good team are there, especially if James Wiseman is really good, and we won't know that maybe for a while, but if he's really good, I, I think they're a playoff team. Um, I, I think we have to give them the benefit of the doubt for sure. I will say, as much as I love Steph Curry, we've never really seen Curry have to lead a team like this. We thought we might see it last year, He's always had at least Thompson and Draymond. You know, he hasn't always had Kevin Durant. Um, but it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a very long time, you know, since Steph Curry has been in a situation like this. You know, we're talking five, six years. Um, and I, I think the Warriors went from, you know, certainly a title contender to a team that you can't cross off, but also a team that you really can't feel very good about right now. They the Warriors do not have a lot of shooting right now. Um, Wiggins not a great three-point shooter. Ubre is kind of hit or miss. Draymond can't shoot threes anymore. Wiseman doesn't shoot threes. Um, their bench is awful. Like awful. Yeah, 
so like I, they, it's hard to say they won't make the playoffs. Obviously, because Curry's there, Draymond. But like, I don't know, man. Draymond looked awful last year. Uh, again, a, a lot of this is actually riding on Wiseman, I think. But even the fit between yeah. him and Draymond is a good because Draymond, assuming he can't shoot three still, um, it's not great. And like Ubre and Wiggins, they're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, Ubre is better than Wiggins, but like again. Off your benches, Brad Wanamaker, that was a big signing for them, which tells you kind of where you are as a team when it's like Brad Wanamaker, like we got him back up to Steph Curry. A half hour ago, we were just saying that the Celtics bench is terrible and they willingly let Brad Wanamaker go. Yep. And that's that's the level of desperation. Huge signing by getting Kent Bazemore on your bench as well, Um, which like he's good. I'm not I don't want to trash him too much, but uh, (laughs) 2019-20 fantasy sleeper Kent Bazemore. Uh, he will always be a fantasy sleeper for me. Um, uh, let's uh, let's backtrack real quick and talk about the Bucks, and then we'll sure. we'll do kind of a reset and you know maybe uh, dive into what we see as the new hierarchy in each conference. But we we really haven't touched on Milwaukee. I mean the the Bogdanovich deal falling through and that that whole thing still being weirdly murky has has clouded this offseason. But at the end of the day, I, I do, they definitely got better in the immediate future. Yeah. I mean, obviously when you look into what they gave up, it becomes, you know, a little bit more of a tougher pill to swallow, but man to man, they, they got better. They added a, a really good guard in drew holiday, who is a clear upgrade over Eric Bledsoe and even an upgrade over the, the Bledsoe Hill tandem. So now you're looking at holiday, DiVincenzo, Middleton, Giannis, Brooke Lopez. That's a, a strong starting five. It's stronger than last season's. I actually really like a lot of the moves that they made around the margins as well. So We'll start with the bad, though. The Connaughton extension, which was, you can read about it. There's an extensive breakdown, I think, by John Hollinger in The Athletic about how Milwaukee kind of botched this one from a financial perspective, which is becoming a little bit of a concerning trend for that front office. But either way, you return a familiar face in Connaughton. I did not like the Augustine deal at all. I thought that was really bad value for a guy who's who's on the decline, uh, but there are better options out there. But I love the Bryn Forbes edition, and I, I kind of like the Tory Craig edition as well. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but Bobby Portis on, on that deal, I, I really don't mind because I, I think you know, they've, they've they're kind of gone away from some of their system guys who, when they got, you know, when it got to the playoffs and the system kind of broke down a little bit, couldn't do anything. You know, your Sterling Brown is no longer on this team. Uh, Bledsoe, I think, was kind of the main culprit for that. So they've gotten rid of some of those guys. Bobby Portis is like the opposite of a system player in every sense of the word, but you know, if you're only going to play Giannis maybe 31, 32 minutes again, I, I don't hate Bobby Portis as a guy you could throw out there and be like, hey, go take 12 shots in the next 12 minutes and try to get us 20 points and seven rebounds. Yeah, Portis also is probably going to play backup five. Like, he looks like he's going to play backup four and five. Like, Bobby Offers Portis. A little bit of shooting. I, I don't know. He's, he Like, would you rather have him or, or the combination of Robin Lopez and Ursan Ilyasova? Oh, you Bobby know, Portis. That's basically what you're replacing. Sixth man of the year, Bobby Portis hype starts now. Um yeah. Yeah, Connington was an overpay. DJ Augustine was an overpay. You know, paying those guys a combined, what is it, like $37 million or something um, is a lot. Uh, and, but again, yeah, I'm with you. I like Bryn Forbes, Torrey Craig. I don't know if they're going to start Augustine, if they're going to start DiVincenzo. But I, this is this is really all they were able to do, right? After you lose on Bogdanovich, you just kind of have to shuffle things around Giannis and Middleton. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, Brooke Lopez. Um, I think overall, yeah, they, they got better and they got better while Boston got worse, while Toronto got worse, while Miami stayed the same, Indiana stayed the same, Philly stayed the same or got worse potentially. Um, it's, 
I think they had a good offseason. Yeah, I agree. So let's look at, let's start with the East and just kind of give me your general hierarchy. You know, we keep talking about which teams we would pencil in for the playoffs. Um, how many teams would you say right now, uh, you know, given average to above average injury luck, are locks to make the playoffs? Um, Milwaukee, I think Toronto, Boston, Indiana, Miami, Philly, Brooklyn. So seven. The, um, the teams that made the playoffs last year. And then, I mean, that eighth spot, I think, is just going to be between Atlanta and Chicago, maybe Washington. But, okay. yeah, I have seven locks, basically. So of those seven, the one that I feel the most shaky about is Indiana by far, because All the that whole situation is weird. Yeah. And even though they basically ended up retaining their whole roster, I don't know. I mean, like if those guys play out next season together they are going to make the playoffs, but I, I'm just not convinced that that's not going to blow up at some point. Um, but you, you feel, so it, Orlando was obviously the, the eight seed this past year by a pretty big margin, six games between them and, and Charlotte. Do you feel confident enough to say that you would pencil in Atlanta over Orlando? Uh, yeah. Or maybe even Chicago. Okay. All right. So new question then who are your top three teams in the East in order? Um, Milwaukee, Miami, uh, oh, no, wait. Milwaukee, sorry. Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami. And is that in terms of regular season finish or title favorite? Um, I think title favorite. Okay, I don't know. I that's that's just what my gut told me. I think that's fair. I, I honestly, I'm, I would sell high on Miami a little bit this year. I, I think they'll be very good next year. I think I, I don't know. I think there's a chance that we'll look back and be like, okay, they, they for, for whatever reason, they benefited from the bubble more than other teams did. You know, like I think everybody liked Miami, but they've, they've gained, I think a little more helium uh, than, than maybe they should. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they have a nice season next year, but I, I don't think they're just going to be a perennial title contender all of a sudden with, with this core. Yeah, I could, I could see that. All right. So same question for the West. How many locks do you have? Uh, both LA teams, Denver, uh, Utah, I think Houston. I don't know. Houston's tough. I can't, okay, if you have to think about it, it's not a lock. Okay. Um, Portland. Uh, I think that's it. That's five? Okay. So I would add Dallas to that list. Yeah, I thought about Dallas. Okay. So that leaves the four and five from last year, Houston and OKC, are not locks. I wouldn't lock up the Suns, but I'd, I I would feel better about the Suns for sure making it than the Rockets because I think there's a bigger risk for the Rockets blowing it up. I mean, the Rockets are basically the West version of Indiana in some ways. Right. Yeah, I think Dallas would have been my other lock, but I don't know. I Phoenix looks just as good as them in some aspects, so I don't know. If and if we're if we're assuming good health, I think I would lock up Golden State as a as a playoff team. Sure. Yeah. But the health for them is, is a bigger question than I think for any other team. All right, last question on this then. Between Memphis, San Antonio, Sacramento, New Orleans, Minnesota, let's say one playoff spot is available for those five teams. Which of those five would you most confidently say could grab the eight seed? Again, Memphis, San Antonio, Sacramento, New Orleans, Minnesota. Um, oh, um, maybe Minnesota? 
Yeah. I'm going to say Minnesota. Okay. It was tough. I was between that and the, the Pelicans, but again, I don't really... That Pelicans roster, something feels wrong with it. Not that I, the, want to give, not, I want to give some benefit of the doubt to Memphis, too, but with, with Jackson being hurt to begin the year, I think there's a chance they get off to a slow start. I know we've, we've both been a little lower on them. Yeah. Yeah, their roster does not... They didn't get any better at all. And no. um, everyone else... Really. <laughs> they didn't do anything. They did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, yeah, they got Hazonia. Right. Uh, I so. think there's a chance San Antonio has like one last little gasp in it. I mean, they they still have DeRozan and Aldridge. Like they'll be competent at least. I you know wouldn't shock me if they just kind of clawed their way to like 40, 40 wins, whatever it'll take this year to get that eight. Yeah, I I would not bank on it. Yeah. All right, that just about does it. Uh, we did this in almost a flat hour. Good good job by both of us. I will be back with James later today. We're gonna do a little post draft recap. Uh, start to look ahead. Uh, at some of the futures odds as well. So make sure to tune into that.